go bang in 2020. It's the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports with your boy, the Brian Campbell. Back from the grave, back in the new year, back with the MMA ahead of what should be a wild and woolly year. That, by the way, kicks off in a little bit more than a week when Conor McGregor and Cowboy Cerrone do business in Las Vegas. We're going to have a lot to talk about on that today. Full preview next week. But your boy, BC, very happy to be back with you this week talking MMA on the pod. Just a few days removed from a pretty vicious battle with pneumonia. If you've heard me on the other State of Combat offerings, uh, hey, Take your health seriously out there, all right? Stop eating. You've been you, you've been eating out of gas stations long enough now. Stop being greedy, <laughs> all right? We don't need that. We don't need that anymore. BC, so happy to be back on the first show of 2020. And we're going to have a lot, a little bit of look back at the last decade, a lot of bit of a look ahead to what this year could be. I'm fired up. I'm back. I'm back. Trust me. I bet. Thank you, Andy. I am ready to do this thing. All right. Hey, New Year's, no limits. But we're going to clean things up a little bit. We're going to clean up our diet. We're going to clean up this show. Try not to be as thirsty as we've been in the past. Although, happy 30th birthday to uh, Michelle Waters. All right. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. For that, enough of that. No, don't send me Shevchenko's sister uh, pics in my DMs. Let's start the show. I want to bring in my co-host. You hear him laughing right there. The Hall of Famer. He's an earthquake survivor, a former UFC light heavyweight champion. He once kicked Sean Salmon in the damn face. It's Sugar Rashad Evans. What's going on, BC and BY? What's going on, my brothers? You, you heard it right there, Brandon Wise, who's sitting next to me in the Stanford, Connecticut offices this week. Uh, Brando, we got the band back together. We got Sugar Rashad. We got MMA. We got big fights coming on. Get fired up, bro. Everybody's here. We got through our what we would call an off season for the last two weeks, you know, with no mm-hmm. uh, major combat besides PFL, I guess. Yeah, I'm ready. Is that man. a thing? Is that, is that, if, if PFL happens and this podcast doesn't watch, did it really happen? You know, <laughs> oh my God, you found more sounds now. This is not going to be good. <laughs> Funny, funny, Brandon. Uh, hey, fired up to be back. Like I mentioned, Sugar Rashad Evans, how was the holiday season, man? I feel like I haven't talked to you in years. It was a good holiday season, man. You know, the kids got what they wanted and got to spend time with the family. So back to business, you know, start the new uh, the new decade off right. I love that. I love that. Brandon Wise, are you settling into the cold, freeze, and filth and uh, seasonal depression that is Connecticut in the winter? <laughs> I think that's only you with the seasonal depression. Um I'm good, man. I've enjoyed it. It's actually also been unseasonably warm so far. It's been in like the 40s and 50s for the last couple of weeks. Wow! But today uh-huh. it was snowing when I on our drive in. So it's good that, to see you that get tough. See people like me and Rashad who were born in the cold weather. We were born yeah. to handle this. We are a different breed. We have different blood than you, South Floridians. I know. I know. Rashad now is in his you know re- retirement phase, living life. He's got abs. He's got uh, probably sloppy DMs. He's a great dude, you know. Really, but he grew up in the grittiness of, of upstate New York, which is even a different different vehicle than I had to drive back in the day. I mean, I mean, good God, how'd you survive that? I mean, it's a different kind of cold altogether. I'm talking about Niagara Falls, uh, lake effect snow coming up on your window. I mean, it, it's cold. It's cold. No, thank you. No, no, thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. Uh, We got a lot to get into, a lot to get fired up about. A reminder, five-star review season always upon us. doesn't matter that the holidays are over. You can still slip your hand back into our stocking if you you have to, uh, to give us that five-star review. Scratch our back. We'll we'll scratch yours for free all year. We'll insert this needle into your ear hole 
with that performance-enhancing audio. Give us a review on the other end. Rated all that good stuff. Slip your MMA opinions in there. We might as well read them on the show. All right, after the break, we're going to be back, looking back, looking forward, looking in the middle. A lot of Connor's talk coming your way after we pause for the cause and a word from our friends and sponsors. Yeah, all right, dig it. And we're back, BCB Dubs, the Hall of Famer, Rashad Evans. And Rashad, I want to start right here with a little bit of a look back. We did the year-end award show. We're not going to roll out, you know, who was your fighter of the decade and all that great stuff. But uh, when you look back at the last 10 years, because 2020 is upon us, it's a new dawn. It's the UFC ESPN era. MMA is running hot and wild. You can argue it's Dana's dream already fulfilled of it becoming the fourth major. But when you look back at the last 10 years, a 10-year period in which you became a legend and a Hall of Famer, by the way, What's your biggest takeaway from the sport, right? This wasn't the 90s where it was barbaric and then banned. It wasn't the 2000s where we finally got it on TV and pay-per-view finally blew up. What were the, the auteens to you? I think it was more of the, uh, the corporatocracy of, of, of the UFC, you know, them becoming more of a corporate entity and, and started to move in that direction. And, and I think that, you know, from a fighter standpoint, you know, we kind of noticed that. Uh, the big change when when the merger happened with with the, the new company, um, so I think that's been more of the direction the UFC more of a corporate uh, kind of feel to it, and and kind of along with that, you know, we're getting on the same page. You see all these other big big sports, and we're now starting to get um, a placehold uh, and, and a seat at the table where before we weren't even asked to sit down. Uh, that's fair enough. I mean, just like you look at some of the prehistoric things that were removed this past decade, the sport of MMA being banned in the state of New York, which felt like it was, you know, the uh, golden ages of prohibition that finally broke through the sport. Brandon is taken so rightfully seriously. It's legitimate pay-per-view, but it's also right in your living room on ESPN. Uh, We also saw the evolution of the fighters, the one dimensional guy. I love me the Damian Myers. I love me the Ben Askrens, but you got to be for real and you got to come up. Brandon, you got to do what you do. Get out to 365, work on your kickboxing, work on your wrestling. You got to be the real deal, Holyfield, to be an MMA player in this decade. It's crazy, right? Like, that was, to me, the, the craziness that you think of. Because you're talking about, like, the, the, the people that do these end-of-decade stories where you're trying to compare over 10 years how somebody would be and, like, who's the best of this decade. Well, Ronda Rousey kind of showed us she wouldn't compete at this point in time. Like, if she came around three years later... She's not who Ronda Rousey became in 2012, in 2013 and 2014. So there's so much evolution that's going on. I mean, the sport is only, what, 30 years old now? 25? 20, 26 years old? I mean, you know, you made a lot of good points there, including this one. What Ronda Rousey fine ass at? I mean, I mean, Rashad, that's a great point because you look how quickly she burst in, created a women's division, took over the world, and a couple years later, she's been proven obsolete. Yeah, it's crazy how fast the, the the technical ability of these fighters have gotten. And and as a fighter who has competed in, in both phases of the sport, you know, when it was the old school with guys with one discipline to guys that don't really have a one discipline but do everything well, you know, there, there's a big difference. You know, these guys that uh, compete now, they're so much more creative and, and there's so many more tools that they can bring to a fight just because they're not coming from that one mindset of having that one discipline. 
you know, um, you do still find your, your guys in there. And, and that's why I applaud a guy like Damian Maya when you can still see a guy go there and still be so proficient at, at what he's good at and still find a way to get it done, no matter who's fighting. I applaud that because in today's time with fighters and their fighting IQ being what it is and, and their ability to do what they can do, that's just not an easy feat to do. Oh, no doubt about it. I always wonder, Rashad, like, what's the next evolution, right? Like, we saw, like, the wrestlers dominate in the, in the early 2000s. Uh, BJJ in the 90s was sort of that secret weapon that no one ever, ever heard of, and that won the first few UFCs. Is there still one more thing we haven't seen coming? I mean, is, uh, I don't know. I mean, judo had a, had a, had a day in the sun with my boy Carl Parisian before Ronda, but, uh, what's next? What other martial art hasn't been, you know, added into the full, to the full, uh, Swiss Army knife yet in terms of MMA growth? You know, it's really hard to say just because, um, you know, there is, it gets so trendy sometimes and, and it goes by what works and you see other guys keep on continuing to go back to the well of what works, you know, um, you know, you see that with different tech, techniques with, uh, you know, with, with that oblique kick like the Jackson team started using and then more and more people started using more of that. But I think that in the future, I think what's going to be the technique or not even so much technique is is um, is is the fluidity to, to transition, how well these guys transition from one move to the next and how seamlessly they do it. You know, I think that's one mark that you can always say the greats always had the champions like Anderson Silva, John Jones. You know, Daniel Cormier and those guys who figured out the next level, uh, you know, they, they were always very slim, seamless in the transition. And I think that, you know, as uh, fighters get better and better, I think that, you know, the fighter that that works more and more along that line, the fighter get find is uh, getting more and more uh, seamless. I think those are the fighters who's going to become better. And if I've got to give some shout out to this decade, Brandon, from the individual fighter standpoint and in, in becoming crossover stars, it feels like. UFC was rising right at the time of the beginning of the Floyd Mayweather boxing pay-per-view run. They witnessed, they saw how you can lure people to watch your fights, even if your fighting style is deemed boring, as Floyd was often, for people that didn't necessarily get what they were seeing, you could get people in there with your mouth. After Floyd's initial rise, we see it go from Lesnar to Sonnen to McGregor, we see the idea of sort of, uh, not necessarily fighter businessmen, but carnival barker. I can get famous first with my mouth, and then I can try to prove it and back it up in the damn cage. Yeah, and I mean, that begins and ends with the Irishman himself, Conor McGregor, who's coming back this weekend. Surprisingly, hasn't been talking very much ahead of this fight. Well, we had one, he had one specific talk that we want to get into, but uh, whose decade was it? I'm not saying who was the best fighter of the decade. Look, it's John Jones. I think he's the greatest fighter of all time. I thought he was the greatest fighter of this decade. What one individual person gets their face on the poster for the 2010s in the sport of MMA? Is mm. it Connor? Was it Connor's time? Was it Ronda's? Was it Anderson Silva? I mean, is there I, somebody? I, I think you have to go with Conor McGregor just because of the fact that he is um, he's one that's made the biggest transition uh, to to becoming um, that 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 star, you know, being, being doing the crossover star, I mean to say, you know, with the boxing and everything else that he did, he proved that, um, mixed martial artists can stand in areas where previously before we were just laughed at, you know, and, and he went in there with one of the highest profiles, one of the best boxers of all time in Floyd Mayweather. And, and, you know, it got a lot of attention. He went out there and he gave a good representation for himself in the sport. So, 
Um, I think you have to give it to Conor McGregor just because of what he's been able to knock down as far as barriers when it comes to uh, the next evolution of what us fighters need. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. All right. All right. Thank you, Conor. Thank you. Right there. I'll lean toward Ronda just from the, like, he talked about the crossover appeal and, and transcending this. I think Ronda, though, like, brought in the new wave, right? Because yeah, that- she did go to places that even Connor didn't, right? Like, I mean, she got into, like, she was bringing in soccer moms to watch. Yeah, the like, she was on Ellen doing, like, the whole, the talk after the fight where she talked about, she thought about, that had suicidal thoughts and how she wanted to just be able to have kids with Travis Brown. Shout out to Hoppe. Um, I just feel like her coming into UFC, bringing in a whole new division to UFC where Dana said we're never going to have women fight in the UFC. Her rise and then fall was still even her fall was impressive because it's just like she became a meme. Remember? <laughs> I mean, we th- there's certainly a lot to criticize on how she's handled things, but yeah, she did a time. I mean, R- Rashad, you start you look back at the start of that decade, 2010. You're not that far removed from people still thinking these are a bunch of. I mean, from people going the whole Bob Arum route. Remember what Bob Arum used to used to tell yeah. Ariel and and uh and talk about that. UFC are a bunch of skinhead white guys watching people in the ring who are also look like skinhead white guys. And Ronda's this legitimate Olympian with a pretty face. That had to do a lot from the idea of making this sport feel normal to people that it hadn't that hadn't crossed to that point yet. Absolutely. And and then and then to to put uh icing on the cake, you know, she was so dominant that uh it was even talked about that her Beating Floyd Mayweather, who was at that time the most dominant fighter, you know, actively talks. boxing. And, and here's the, and here's the reality: a lot of people were were giving it some pause. Like, yeah, it probably could happen because, truthfully speaking, if she got a hold, of, I mean, I I know Floyd is a man, but listen, if she got a hold of him, it could be some problems just because she's so good in grappling. We right. we, we did get Floyd's take on that quickly. You say something else. Oh, that's no, that's no way to talk to a woman. Come on. <laughs> but it was never going to be an MMA fight. That was like the end, end all be all of that was that it was going to be. They were talking about having her box him and it was just head like, movement. Oh, oh, my God. Head please movement. don't do that to us. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, honestly speaking, out of the, it was just a theoretical. The theoretical was even. Yeah, it shows you where she entered the discussion yes. in terms of yeah. uh, the face of the sport and her dominance. And look, any time, look, any sport we say that, you know, I hear people say I don't follow golf, so I'm, I'm talking out of school here. But I hear people say, you know, when Tiger was out of it, you know, what, when are we going to get people to care about golf again? You need a Tiger. I hear people say, when are gonna people going to care about heavyweight boxing again? I'm like, well, you kind of need a Tiger Woods. I mean, right now we've got certainly a, a good group of fun heavyweight boxers to care about. But in almost any sport, you need that one crossover phenomenon who's dominating and when Ronda did that and so, I mean you got to give her this I mean no matter what you want to say about it she's beating people in eight seconds and 14 seconds I mean it, it was it was yeah, Mike she, Tyson-esque in a different way absolutely. and that's that's pretty damn but, but you know one reason why I say Connor more than anything like I, I said before because a lot of fighter uh Connor has helped off fighters so much because now fighters are getting paid what they weren't getting paid before and that has a lot to do with the, the barrier that Connor has broken down. You know what I'm saying? When he's when he's hitting UFC up for $10, 15000000 million to fight, 
you know, it, it ain't so bad asking Uncle Dana for a million or two. You know what I'm saying? It just, it just knocks, it just knocked down a whole nother bear. So Can you I get see, the red panties for rich baby. A lot of fighters getting paid because of the comedy. <laughs> red panty night, indeed. It's going to be red panty night next week at UFC 246. Uh, does this decade have a signature? Put, put a bow on this, okay? Does this decade have a signature moment? I know you know UFC does a great job, by the way, with that sort of highlight reel sizzle package they run before the start of the main card in arena and pay-per-views. It's got the uh, the Who's Baba O'Reilly playing in the background. And I think there's that one pinnacle moment, right, where that kicks in and it's Matt Hughes slamming down Frank Trigg. And obviously that's from the decade before. What's the one damn moment? It's so hard to say because I, I but I would think that um, one thing that sticks out to me about this decade was this was the decade for the double champ. And I think that's yes. one thing that's going to stick out for me more than anything. So I think that you have to go with the initial first double champ. And I think it was in Madison Square Garden when uh, Conor McGregor beat Eddie Alvarez. I think that right there signified the the, the way that this decade was going to change out. And it wasn't it wasn't just about being champion. You had to be more than a champion. And I, that's what I got from this decade. If I've taken enduring one picture brandon not a video one picture i think he's right i'm, I'm imagining connor sitting on the octagon wall two title you know one over each shoulder inside madison square garden uh what do you have for the signature highlight i mean you, you could go with the one punch knockout of jose aldo for mcgregor you can go with ronda getting head kicked by holly holm i mean that had to be if you want to signal i just oh man i'm still i don't even need you on this one to talk to myself <laughs> brandon i do want to say though you want to talk about a feel spot? A feel spot moment of the decade where you went, oh, S, right? It had to be head movement, bro. So I got like four that I'm thinking about right now off the top of my head as current as moment slash picture. First one is Anderson face kick to Vitor. Hell yeah. Two is Weidman knocking out Anderson. Three would be Nate Diaz choking out Connor in the first fight. With oh, I'm not gushing, effing surprised. With That's... blood gushing everywhere. Four, I, I got five. Four would be the, the, the double champ win against Eddie. Five would be the head kick. Six would Holly. be uh, Rampage tearing that freaking door off. <laughs> <laughs> was that this decade? Yeah, right? That was, one yeah. Of, that was one of the biggest fights of this past decade. All right? Take that, right? Guess who won that fight? No? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're sitting right here, all right? Hey, uh, Rashad, while you're here and while we're looking back at the decade and while we're talking about uh, Rampage Jackson, um, your thoughts on uh, Fedor Rampage? Good Lord, your thoughts, oh, please. Yeah, well, I think Rampage took way too much time off in between camps and, and let himself get too big. And before he knew it, he had a fight on his hands and he couldn't get his weight down. Yeah, but there's a difference between too big, like, oh, you know, hey, he, you know, that wasn't a great training camp, and like, did like, you, did you train, bro? Like, did you? Yeah, like more, like, like dad bod times five, like that was, uh, you, he let himself go. That's embarrassing, Rashad Evans. It's embarrassing. I, Rashad Evans didn't say that. Brian Campbell did. It's freaking embarrassing. Yeah, that that was bad. That was bad. I just, I just hope that um, he get his weight down a little bit, just because. I mean, d dang, he got, he got. I, I've never seen Rampage. Uh, uh, Rampage can always take a good punch because he got a big head. You know, fighters with big heads <laughs> always <laughs> take punches. You know, so to see him get starched like that off that one one punch, it was like, man, he's 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 got uh, he's got some weight issues. Well, it, it was that, and he just he looked 
like fat and slow. Like Fedor That's is true. what forty three or forty. Dude, he made Fedor look like uh, look, Dominic Cruz in there. Right, he looks so fast. I was just like, uh, this is ridiculous. I hated it because it like spoiled the unwritten rules in old guy fights. Right, like this is what Bellator does, and they they make a killing off of it, and they make it fun. But everybody's signing up knowing we're gonna. We're going to forget the fact that there's two guys in there who probably shouldn't be in there just because we love nostalgia and we love the fact that it can be sloppy. But you're not supposed to come in like that. You're not supposed to lose like that where people are like, oh, that fight was fixed. No, it wasn't fixed. He was fat and old. He shouldn't have been in there. I'm sorry. It's the truth, Rampage. We love you. All right? Kate Rashad's nuts out your mouth. They're not in there, bro. Okay? All right. But I'll- you know what, though? In Rampage's defense, he did handle it really well. I mean, he had a lot of jokes on himself. He even had a picture of himself. Looking like Precious walking with his coaches. I mean, that that was funny. He he took he took control of it, and and that's one thing I can applaud is his comedic genius and how fast he was with that. Because that's what you do when 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 the joke's on you, you take the joke and you put it back out there and make it like it's your own joke. Yeah, you eat Rashad, it. Rashad, can we get him on your plant based diet? <laughs> it don't look like he eat any plants. <laughs> Might be smoking a few plants. So I'd, I'd hang out with him right there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd still get down with Rampage, but I was just sad for his spirit, for his person, for what he's about. I mean, come well, on. Black folks love me, man. Black I, girls love me, too. Man. I get sure. hit on by black girls all the time. I'd be like, I'll be, showing, I'll be showing my nip. I'll be doing my nipple dance. <laughs> I saw your titties, okay? I saw I saw him, Rampage. All right. All right. Before he kills us, let's get out of that conversation. Um, Hey, guys, I think the right transition here is Connor. UFC 246, it's a little more than a week away. But Connor came out of hibernation in the past week in a big way, talking with the Mac life, sort of, you know, his his uh, his preferred voice, not no different than fighthype.com for Floyd Mayweather, his trusted preferred voice. And he gave about an eight, nine-minute stand-up interview right after training that was the first really in-depth thing outside of a few tweets or a few f- soundbites here or there that we've heard from him. Rashad, did you get a chance to peep this? I peeped it. I peeped. Uh, what's your biggest takeaway here? What kind of feels did you get about whether 2020 can bring back the Connor of old or not? Well, I think um, I think that's that's the uh, that's the problem right there. First and foremost, you know. You can't bring back the Connor of old because Connor have already experienced what he's experienced. So he'll never be what he was before. Not saying he can't be that as far as skill wise. I'm just talking about mindset. So you, you can't go back to what you once were. I think he really needs to just, uh, just, you know, just accept where he's been, accept, accept everything that he's come up with and say, you know what? This is the new Connor and this is what the new Connor has learned. This is what the new Connor is going to do and, and come out with, with, with the newness type of mindset i think when you come with the mindset of i'm trying to bring the old uh, the old connor back you're you're trying to you're you're chasing a ghost for the most part and if anything that happens along that path that's not like that ghost that you're chasing then you may get dismayed or he may get dismayed and, and he may lose heart in himself so i think that i think that you know he should just kind of reframe the, the way he's you know, verbalizing his his comeback, you know, and just say, you know, this is a new Connor and and, and and I'm going to bring some new things to the table because as long as you're trying to do what you once did, it, you, you're going to fail because what he once did, it was brilliant. It was it was what it was. But that's past. 
he's not that person anymore. I like, though, what he seemingly has learned from the 229 debacle. Now, look, he talked a big game. Wait, what? What, what, what are you looking at me for, Brandon Wise? Uh, what did he learn? I, I, I'm about to I'm tell you. That's I'm what I'm about to tell you, okay? <laughs> now, look, uh, we can mention certainly that he gave a long breakdown in that Mac Life interview about sort of his way of saying, look, I was winning that Habib fight until I got submitted, you know, like, and he broke down round by round. And a lot of that is a little bit off. But the biggest thing he learned is that you can't just parachute back in from, you know, two years out of the cage and be right back at the top against a potential all-timer like Habib. From hearing his words, he's learned that consistency and being in that cage and fighting three times a year, that's what makes him sharp. His skills are timing, epic timing and speed and getting to your chin and the confidence in that one skill that he really brings to the table. I liked hearing him say, I need to fight three times. I liked hearing him say, you know, I'm going to walk through uh, Cowboy Cerrone and then it's either I get Habib for the title or if we can't make that fight, let's call up George Masvidal or let's go after this 170 title against Usman, which I know you can be like, well, hold, slow your roll, bro. We can get into that in a second. But that showed me that he at least sees what went wrong in 229. And if you look back at the build to there, to Conor Habib, obviously it had the whole sideshow element of the grudge match between them. But even in that big press conference they did at Radio City Music Hall that I attended in New York, it was trash-talking mean Conor, but I didn't get that sense that I believed he believed fully in what he's saying. I believed enough to predict that he would win, but it didn't seem like Conor, Conor. You may be right, Rashad, on the idea that you can never be that guy, and you're 31 now, and things are a little bit different. But I saw that confidence and swagger back in that interview that if I'm going to get fooled, and I get fooled on the regular, all right? I can buy a product that I know tastes bad, but if they got flashy orange and light blue colors on the package and they got a redesign, hey, maybe the flavor changed. I'll, I'll try it. Hey, Connor fooled me enough to have him pick him that he was going to knock out Habib. Did you catch any of them feels, Rashad, that he is a changed man and he realizes now what he needs to do to try to find any form of the old Connor? Yeah, I felt I felt that I felt that I caught some feels from it, especially when he was talking about um, the fact that, you know, uh, you know, where he is with his uh, what was gonna say? Where, where he is with, with um, with how he is. Uh, oh my goodness, I, I drew a blank. With how how he interpreted the whole fight with uh, Khabib, Khabib with Habib, you know the way he internalized that and the way that he kind of in his mind rewritten things and kind of you know I, I can't say rewritten things but just kind of see it from his perspective and he doesn't see and he sees he has a better chance in it and also he's also um, feeling a little bit chapped and a bum about how the fans have have taken to him and how they turned on him and now he kind of sees like oh this is. This is how it is. They they forget, you know, now he has had that experience. I think that is going to be that fuel that he needs to stay consistent in the gym because as as I was watching him interview, you know, he even admitted himself, you know, the, the biggest the biggest problem has, has been has been him and his his uh lack of dedication to what he's doing and to his craft. And even watching his his coach's interview, you know, they say the old Connor's back and, and just entirely based on the fact that He's in the gym and he's doing what he needs to do. So maybe the fact that he has been sat down, he has been criticized, and he's had he has had so many fighters, uh, fight fans turning back on him. Maybe that is propelling him to 
you know, get his mind around what he needs to do for the second coming of Conor McGregor. Yeah, very fair, but also we do have to mention uh, part of the people turning against him and the almost forgot element is every time we do hear his name, it's for bad things. And it's for the, you know, of course, the two sexual assault uh, accusations that are lingering, the multiple times he's been arrested for, you know, simple, I don't want to say simple hijinks, but, you know, he did simple battery, simple battery, knocking an old guy, punching a cell phone, all that good stuff. Brandon Wise, come at me from a cynic here, okay? Connor talks tough. I was leading against Habib. I know what I need to do now. The main crux of that interview that I took was that Connor admits he did not train properly, didn't listen to anybody ahead of that first fight. Now, what we've heard since that first fight ended was John Kavanaugh basically admitting his trainer, like, all they all we did was train anti-wrestling. We didn't even train striking. So some elements of that seems to be true. I want to believe. I want to believe in what Connor's saying. His head was too big. Maybe he underestimated what Habib really is all about. He trained anti-wrestling and that was the result? Like, right. to, to me, that's like, what are you talking about? Like, you guys can have this opinion of yourselves all you want that this was just one off night. We didn't train properly, this or that. But, like, well, my got, point is you this. got your ass kicked, bro. Uh, but like, it's, okay, in any sport. If in anything in life, if you prepare not to lose, if that's your focus, right? I'm I'm focusing on not lose. I'm playing prevent defense. My only focus is not losing and and not sucking. You're not going to over. You know, you're not going to overproduce. You're not going to be at your right. best. You're going to set yourself up for mediocrity. Is there yeah. any element of that that could be true? That he prepared I, I, so much not to get abused on the ground that he didn't focus on sharpening up what he brings to the table. Yeah, and that that happens all the time. You know, it can happen. And what you mean is this: like, um, if you train for wrestling and you work on wrestling so much, that means you're not spending the extra time, or not spending the time that you would normally on what is your bread and butter. So then, by you not doing what you normally do, you inevitably shut down your number one tool because you're worried about what he's doing. So. Yes, you are right. So if he was spending more and more time worrying about wrestling and not worried about how he's going to land that left hand from any other any position that he can and and getting surgical with with landing his weapons, then, yeah, he, he, he in a sense, just uh, cut his own wings. But there is still that aspect of saying, whoa, you you train for how many weeks? And that is the best that you got in wrestling. That that is a that is a gap that you may not be able to close. You know, and and he, and here's a reality. You know, he doesn't have the the guy who has that wrestling background. Like, if I was training Connor, I'd be like this. Listen, we're we're not gonna worry about all like he's going to get you down, but let's just worry about getting up. And if he does get you down, we're gonna make we're gonna contest every single position, just pop shot and make it work the whole time. Because so many times people go into these fight with these guys who are good at wrestling and ground control and they worry about not getting taken down. I'm not gonna get taken down, I'm not gonna get taken down. But then when they finally do get taken down, they get disheartened behind it and then they feel like they're losing a fight and they don't get back up. But the truth is when you get back down, get taken down, the more you keep getting up, you start to start to to bring reservations in the guy who's taking you down. So, a couple things. One, I want to say off the top that him using all of these tactics to me is just a smokescreen. Because in the entire lead up to that fight, in all of those press conferences, he was talking about how he was going to take the head off the rat. That that Ali was the rat behind the behind the scenes trying to get all this done. And, and that he's like, do, they, he turned this into a 
fucking war between countries talking about how Russia doesn't love Habib and all that stuff. And then it's through all the fight. And then you hear him in the ring through the, the mics around the, the octagon when, when Habib's saying, talk, let's talk now. And he's saying, it's just for show, guy. Like, relax. Yeah, that, that's damning evidence. Yeah. Right that's there. I'm just like, dude, what are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? Like, He may have given up the ghost in that moment right there. There's so, no coming back. But and to go back to this, like you can't tell me that the camp was wrong when all the the whole time you were talking about how Dylan Danis, the 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 jujitsu master, was like the big training partner for you and and helping you get through all of this, dude. At the end of the fight, when you tapped, you tapped to a neck crank and you were just exhausted. That was a tap off exhaustion. Like I don't believe any of the stuff anymore. Like the allure is gone for me with Connor. Like I, it, he can earn it back with wins and and knockout performances, but. We've seen he's not a wrestler. He's not good on the ground. He stuffed one takedown, and he's living off of that from this fight. Even so you're though you're saying he's lost. a he's a one dimensional, fantastic salesman who caught a string of magic and had some great wins. Yes, but he ain't. He's not. He won't. I mean, do I have to bring in Sean Porter to give you that awkward sound bite while I'm looking for it here? Like to, to me, <laughs> please give me a second, to Brandon. Me. Please, okay, seriously. Keep looking. Keep I'll looking. tell you who he is in a second. All right. It ain't. And it won't. Can you not? Can you ain't? Thank you. That's about mine. Simple as that. <laughs> all right. All right. But to me, Rashad, tell me if I'm wrong. Max Holloway is a better takedown defense guy than Conor McGregor, no? thousand percent. Because yeah. to me, that fight would be more compelling than Habib against Conor. Because that, to me, Max has a chance to keep him on his feet and make him actually strike. Connor, that whole fight, fought with his hands down. Connor also fought with no power or snap in his punches and probably gassed from wrestling, all that stuff. I didn't see a confident person in there. But about confidence, Rashad Evans, because you're a fighter and you're a great-ass fighter and you might still fight again. I just wanted to remind you of that. Um, how much is, like, I mean, we're, we're sitting here, like, this is the first real interview he's done. It's like nine minutes long and I'm, I'm picking apart every inch and every facial movement right. and every tone in his voice because... Look, I want the real Connor to be back. It's better for the sport. You love a trash talker who can call his own shot and then go in there and have a chance to do it. How much of some of these things is just the fact that if you are a fighter, you have to have a certain level of disillusionment. You have to, like, talk yourself and, and be into, like, things that aren't necessarily even realistic. You got to be a con man to your own default feelings, right? To get in there and persevere and go past the level of, of normal human expectancy to gut out these wins. Is he just trying to talk himself into being notorious? You know what? I don't know. The, tr the truth of the matter is, and, and here's the reality of the situation. Connor has always done his best when he has set the stage for himself like he has like this by with a trash talking. So um, he's been saying that he's going to do it long before anybody even believed that he can. And and I think that's always been the magic that has been behind Conor McGregor, just this this belief in himself that that really makes no sense. And I think that's what we're experiencing now, you know, the belief in himself that really makes no sense. So maybe maybe we are seeing, you know, what we call the second comment of of, of Conor McGregor getting back to uh, that the notorious that we're, we're used to seeing. And um, it does start with with him, you know, making claims like this and, and, and saying what he's going to do by the end of the year. And, you know, for the most part, we we have before and in, in, in the past looked at him like, oh, he's out of his mind. So maybe this is another time we look at him and say he's out of his mind. 
and he proved us all wrong again. All right, I need. Speaking of, he's out of his mind. It's a perfect transition. Either of you, when he says, <laughs> and you've seen him bulked up for this fight, which will take place obviously at welterweight. The only time we'd seen Connor at welterweight in the past was the two fights with Nate Diaz that he split. But obviously, you know, Nate Diaz kind of a blown up lightweight to begin with. When he says. Hey, get ready, 170, I'm coming for that belt. And by the way, said it in the past, right? Used to get in Tyron Woodley's face. I mean, this is not a new thing, but when you look at the players there right now, Kamaro Usman, the wrestlers, especially at the top of that welterweight division, is he telling the truth? Is is this a smart idea? Is like, he's never going to cut down a featherweight again, obviously, but if there's big business to be had at welterweight with the likes of, of the Masvidal's or either Diaz brother or an actual title push against an Usman, can he do this? Is this smart? Mm-hmm. Is this crazy? I think not, not at 170. I think, um, first of all, even coming into this fight with, with, um, with Donald, he's going to be coming in, you know, several pounds underweight. I don't think he's going to be coming at the 171 limit. You know, I think he's going to be under that weight. And he's going to be undersized on fight night. Now, when you're looking at these guys who fight at this weight class, uh, they're just scraping down to make 170, 171 just for a few hours. And then they're shooting right back up to 190 area when it comes to fight night. So we're looking at Connor, who would be barely making 170, fighting guys who are at least 20 pounds heavier than on fight night that can wrestle. I think that would be a, a big mistake for him. Now, now, granted, Connor has great movement. Connor has a one hitter quitter like nobody else in his business, and Connor has speed to match that. But at the same time, there is in every single fight that moment where you have to keep somebody up off you, and I don't think he'd be able to survive that with somebody that's 20 pounds heavier than him. Well, I think the biggest question on the one quitter hitter is, is his one punch knockout power, we know it works a featherweight, Salt work in that in the you know one of the two lightweight bouts he had when he knocked out Eddie Alvarez, although that was more of a you know it was a perfect four punch combination after wearing him down. Can he be a successful fighter at welterweight? Now look, he's always going to have problems with the elite wrestlers. So a Newsman matchup is is a night. It's a freaking nightmare. Now, however you want to look at it, I'm sure. Although look, I'm sure Connor watched Kamaru and Colby, and said to himself watching five rounds of them boxing, going, oh, my God, those guys are awful. I can totally, you know, and, and, and in a striking matchup, he would certainly have moments against them. But with the, if he doesn't have one-punch knockout power against any welterweight, can he be a guy who uses movement to outbox and chip away and cut you and slowly wear you down? I'm using the two Nate Diaz fights as sort of my default to sort of look at. He didn't have the power, and obviously Nate's got a great chin, but he didn't have the power to stop Nate. So he had to win that with guts. And with constant movement, I don't know if he can do that in his early 30s against the killers we have in this division. I don't think he'll be able to do that, and, and I say that primarily because of this right here. In order to to get in the rhythm of fighting at that 175 weight class, you have to go through a certain level of competition to make sure that, like, like you, you go against the guys in order to get to the champ that will eventually lead to the skill level of the champ. You know, you go to maybe. Uh, um, a you go with a Kobe Covington that that has wrestling of a Kamaru Usman, but you get past Kobe, like okay, now I can you know handle a, a wrestling of a Kamaru Usman, maybe you know. So then each and every single time you progress up the weight class, fighting these different levels of competition, you prove your skill worthy level to go to the next level. 
The problem with Connor in doing this is the fact that he's always cutting lines. He's not going to sit in there and he's not going to fight his way up in order to gain the experience and knowledge that it takes to compete with a guy like Kamar Usman. So he's always going to be constantly outmatched because at this weight class, because he's not going to to fight the fights that he needs in order to prove that he's ready for that fight. That's fair. And by the way, when he said Connor cutting lines, Brandon, I'm thinking Bugar Sugar. I don't know where you're at right there. <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, I, I want to see what this fight looks like first because I showed you some of those pictures of Connor like walking around now. He looks thick. He's meaty. Yeah. Like, he looks like he's put on a lot of muscle for this fight. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because remember, like you were talking about with the, the first two Nate Diaz fights, like, he looked big and he looked nice, but he didn't look like wide like he looks right now. Like he looks like he's going in there just trying to murder Donald. So I just want to see what that looks like first. But I think Rashad nailed it when he said that when he gets up to if he's trying to fight 170 for a title, Usman's going to weigh in at 170 on Friday and then he'll be 190 on fight night. Yeah, and then he's going to lay on you for a long time, and then your fatigue will will get well, you he's will all- get you choked out because that's what Con- that's the negative of Connor. Right, but that and it's also like. Kamaru's what, almost six foot, maybe six one. Connor's not that big. Know, that's the thing. If, if Connor can't finish you with one or two punches in succession, he's in trouble. He's not, you know, except for the Nate rematch in which, yes, he gutted that shit out. He went yeah. to the deep, dark depths of the end of the pool, but he almost drowned a few times too on the way there, right? You can't do that consistently. That can't be his calling card is what I'm saying at Welterweight. And you're right, Rashad. And if he's not going to climb the ladder to get improvement and to get used to it. And he's only going to swoop in for big super fights. Ah, he's going to be out good. So lightweight, I guess, has to be it. Only we're in the deepest, darkest lightweight era ever with so many killers. I'm not sure he could ever beat a Habib or a Tony Ferguson. I mean, it's, it's wild. But I think it's part of why next week's fight is so great. One, so much damn potential for action, obviously, and it's straight up entertainment. Connor could... could for all we know, lose. I mean, Cowboys. Cowboy has it for an old guy. What if he does lose? And that, and that's, yeah. and that's the thing that that no one's even talking about. Like, yeah. what if he loses? If he loses, like, what do you do with Connor then? I mean, you have a guy that can, you know, sell, but you know, he hasn't, he hasn't won. That's actually. I'm glad you brought that up because we did a a piece this week about the six biggest questions heading into 2020. And one of the questions I had I had Brian and another one of our writers, Brent Brookhouse, answer this week was, how many times does Connor fight this year? And I think that if he loses this fight, that becomes a really interesting question because if he did all of this preparation, he's getting, like you guys were talking about, getting his mindset back to the point where he is notorious again and he's he thinks he's that invincible fighter and then he just gets destroyed by, by Donald. Does he still want to do this? And by the way, he could also lose without getting destroyed. It could be a really right, fun-ass I mean, competitive fight, and he just loses the decision. But if he gets knocked out by, by Donald, I mean, what what does he have left to prove other than trying to get more paychecks, you know? It's a train and wreck. That, it's a train wreck that, if he gets knocked out. It, it's a, and, and that's the hard part about it because if he, if he loses this fight uh, in devastating fashion or, or just loses the fight just because it went – long distance and we all know that Connor has problems fighting in, in long distance fights his, his endurance is a problem you know so if this fight goes to distance and he loses fight in any shape or fashion um it it you don't know how he's going to internalize that and that becomes the biggest problem because when when you're a fighter and you have 
a loss, like one of those devastating losses, and you know it's not one you should have took or not one that you didn't even foresee yourself losing by the least, uh, it is the hardest thing in the world to get over. I'm talking about wanting to put a gun in your mouth type of hard. Wow, and I real. say that to not make light of, of something so serious, but when you're, when you're a fighter and you put so much into, into fighting, the depression around losing a fight and everything that comes along with it, 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 it can be debilitating to a lot of fighters depending on where you are at mentally. I, I, damn right. I, I can only imagine. So, like, look, us as not, not us as fighters, us as, as men, family men with mortgages and family, that fear that some of us in, in, in this unforgiving industry of sports journalism have to go through, right? Layoffs or, or, or you're on something, you're on a certain project or a show, it gets canceled. I mean, all that. There's always that fear of what if, what if that happens to me? I can only imagine what it would feel like. If like I lost my job tomorrow and I got to go back to the basics, how much of my personal identity as a person, my value and worth is tied up in the the things I get from my job? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like when I don't have that tomorrow, you know, outside of the, oh, crap, I've got to provide for my family. How, you know, am I going to be the same man? Am I going to have that same confidence in that same drive? And then put that up like you're saying when you're a celebrity and a superstar who's known for being a badass and if you win against Cowboys you could have a monster year of paydays potential title shots I mean I, I predicted he would fight three times I think he beats Cowboy I think he either fights Habib and even if he loses he could still fight Masvidal at the end of the year or he could fight somebody that has a name that would make a fun fight that he thinks he could win he could do anything certainly he could do that with a loss but you can't reinflate those tires so easily. And that's got to be the equivalent. If he loses this fight, it's going to feel like he lost his job because I don't know if he can ever be that guy again. We don't even know right now with a win over Cowboy if he could ever be the same Connor again. But he would quickly fall into hired gun journeyman, journeyman celebrity status if he loses to Cowboy Cerrone next week. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing about it is like, what matchup would you, you do with him after that? Because, you know, he's in such a unique position, uh, as an athlete, um, because he, he, he demands a special stage almost every single time he fights. And then you want to put him with somebody who's going to make sense and going to be the right dance partner because that's one thing that, that has always been a big, uh, sell for Connor is that he's always been able to have the right dance partner, the guy who just, you know, says the right things or don't say the right things and people are interested. So um, where would you put him after that? You know, I think you always you, you would have to put him in a position where he's, you know, he, he's doing, you know, fighting these special fights. And so you know, I'm going to get really Mike Perry matter. up in the bullpen. All right. That's who he's going to be fighting next if he loses to Cowboy. Yeah. And I'm serious. Like, that's it right there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. by the way, I'd want, by the way, I'd be front row for that for that ish. Okay, <laughs> just just saying. Okay, platinum that shit up, Brandon. That that's that's in my damn wheelhouse, right? That's inside of my fuel hole. Please love it. Yes. God. Um. I mean, that to me, if he loses this, you basically cash him out against Justin Gage. I I don't see what else you can do. Uh, yeah, I mean, it would depend on the I, method of loss. He's he's so he's so valuable it's hard to cash someone i i don't think for a long time you can cash him out and and i think that i can't say for a long time it all depends on how he acts with 
if he loses and he doesn't have the success that he was having before, how does he handle it? If he handles it in a way that, you know, allows him to keep coming back and keep trying to compete, then you can still get something out of him. But if he's in a position where he's like, you know, mentally broken after he's not won, then, then yeah, you got to get rid of him. I've got one that's a throwback to an old theory that Brian has been espousing for the last, I don't know, three years to me. Oh, please say it. Say it. Andy yes. Silva. Yes. I like that. I love it. I love it so much. I don't know if Dana likes it. I like it. Please, Dana. Please. Oh, come on, Anderson. I say, come on, Dana. Come on. Dana say, no, 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 no. I say, yeah, 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 yeah. And Dana say, no, 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 no. I say, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, why Dan, not? Yeah, you know? why not? Andy, do you love it? I love it. I love it. I love it, man. All right. Um, yeah, please. That'd be the kind of slop. I would be like, open weight, open weight, Connor Anderson Silva, let's do it. You UFC it. old school rules, right? Wow. Wow. Um, and look, but by the way, I did, I started off this, this turn in the conversation by, by saying what makes next week's fight so great is that, and I started naming some things. You know, really, what makes this fight so great next week? That Connor is kind of set up to win by knockout. It doesn't mean it'll happen, but if it does, it's the perfect advertisement to tell people that he's back. In fact, we got Connor's take on on, on how this fight probably you know goes down and, and ends. His chin is deteriorating. I mean, like he may end up getting a, a first round knockout, and it's like the king is back, and that's perfect matchmaking. Even though obviously. This could be a five-round barn burner, or Connor could get submitted in round two. We don't know. Dude, I can't wait for Donald to just Mike Perry submission him like he did and just almost break his arm in half with his whole body weight on top of him. That's how the, the Connor experience Oh, you hate you. You hate you some Connor McGregor, all right? Wow, Look, th- I can feel it. That, that would only happen if if Donald fights the way that uh, the way that he can fight. Like Donald, honestly speaking, is one of the most talented guys I've ever seen on the ground. But you rarely ever see him on the ground doing it in a fight. Like, he is so dope on the ground. Nate Diaz, too. Like, Nate Diaz, too, right? Remember the rematch with yeah, Connor? Why is that dude. a five-round boxing match? That's what I'm saying. Like, like he, Connor, I mean, uh, Donald is so dope on the ground. If he if he gets Connor on the ground and start doing what he like he's going to put Connor in trouble. But here's the problem with Donald is that he doesn't have a good takedown. He he, he has terrible takedown. And, and he also have um a problem with getting hit to the body and when he's you look at connor starter. who yeah. throws that heat he's going to be looking to just blast that body and he he connor has a cheap kick that that is is probably one of the best in the division next to probably cowboy cowboy has a great cheap kick too and i i, I would i would say connor's rival that cheap kick so i think a couple little sharp Toad teep kicks to con uh to Donald's gut, and it might bring a different kind of Donald when when you see when you see him in there fighting because yeah, right. he's gonna be he's gonna not be so offensive with Connor starts touching that body early in the fight. Yeah, I mean we're gonna break that down at at length next week how these two match up, but you, you kind of touched on it the idea of Donald being a slow starter, Connor always being so much better in the first half of the first round than he is in any other portion. Uh, great. Teak kicks. Mitch Rion had a great tank kick. I don't know if you saw that Karatana fight. <laughs> no, no. All right. Uh, hey, it's <laughs> uh, sorry, wrong button there. Uh, okay, okay. Moving on from that. Uh, look, it's time to look ahead. That's that is a Connor Cowboy next week. UFC two forty six. We'll have you full previewed. We'll be on the ground in Las Vegas. We'll have media day bonus pod interviews, chats with everybody. 
instant analysis, all that good stuff. But how this ties in is this is the first kickoff period for 2020. It's a new decade. It's a new year upon us in MMA. It's certainly a strong start for UFC on the schedule. You got this. You got John Jones and Dom Reyes coming back in February in Houston. You got the potential for Adesanya Romero and Boogie Woman against Zhang Wei Li to kick off in March in Vegas. And we come back April, Barclays Center, Brooklyn, Habib, Tony, five. I mean, the schedule is packed, jacked, loaded. This has the potential to be a big year. But Rashad Evans, when you look at your wish list for the new calendar year, I don't know if it's a fight. I don't know if it's a moment. I don't know if it's a comeback, a development, whatever. What's number one on your wish list for this new year for MMA? Mm, like, who do I want to see fight? Is that what you're saying or what? It really could what be it? anything. What do you want to see happen to the sport, in the sport? A fight, a development, mm. something. I mean, we want to see big fights with big well, celebrities and personalities. What, what, we what I that. want to see, honestly, what I want to see, I want to see Tony Ferguson and Habib actually step into the cage. That, that's what I want to see first and foremost because those guys have been scheduled to fight so many times, and it's actually never happened. So I want to see that uh, happen first and foremost, and that would be a good start to things to come in the new year. I'm just saying. I love that. I love that. I want to see the UFC heavyweight division put forth the biggest fights of the year. So what, what I mean by that, okay? Look, right now, lightweight, men's lightweight and welterweight and the whole, everyone in that BMF bubble, that's the sex right now in MMA, right? Those are the juiciest fights you can make. Connor, Habib, Tony Ferguson, George Mazavid, all those names we're talking about. But heavyweight MMA has been the most unpredictable division historically. The title changes hands like a hot potato. When we, and we should, get Sleepy Miocic, Daniel Cormier, Dice, Cisse, three <laughs> this probably hey. summer, maybe July, who knows. Obviously, that fight is going to be ne- is going to be awesome. It's going to have historical significance because the winner legitimately is going to be your greatest heavyweight in UFC history. For Cormier, you want to talk about putting that stamp on the resume and going out on top. I mean, it's all that and then some. But if you paired that, with John Jones finally moving up to heavyweight if he beats Dom Reyes. Now we got business. Frank Ngannou is lingering. We got some young guys on the rise. But if you're telling me we can go from DC DCCP3 into the winner faces John Jones, I mean, imagine the, the scenario of DC oh. winning and then going, but I'm not going to retire. I got one more hill to climb. I got one more thing to accomplish. John Jones, get your together. I'm waiting for you. Yes, that works for me. Not everything in life works. That works. I can be fat. I could not have a six pack, but my dick works. It works. <laughs> my dick works. It does. This works. All right. Yes, I'm. I'm. The, I'm, the tent is pitched right now. No yes. Right. I mean, talk about what heavyweight could be this year. I need you to take a break. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you turned red during that rant. <laughs> Crowd goes wild. Crowd goes I, I agree. I totally agree, man. I think that would be uh that would be huge. And that would, you know, inject some much needed life into those upper weight classes. I mean, it's getting kind of stagnant and stale up there and and you're right. The the heavyweight division does need it needs an injection of excitement into it. I mean, listen, we we've had you know, uh, those some big matchups at heavyweight, but nothing consistently and nothing to 
to to bring back that oh the heavyweight weight class is the one to watch and I don't, honestly speaking I don't think that we've we've really had that since Brock Lesnar and everything came Damn into right. the weight class and that I think that was the only time we were really excited to see heavyweight in the UFC. Damn friggin' right, what Brandon. Else, what else you want me to say? I mean, uh, uh, Merry Christmas to Brock Lesnar. Merry Christmas to <laughs> us. If we get heavyweight fights that matter, to make them matter, you need personalities and storylines. And the storyline I mentioned with DC sells itself. But just the whole idea of what would John Jones look like at heavyweight, I think is the most intriguing development that could happen this year. Yeah. I, I mean, the problem is like, Heavyweight has mattered for the last two or three years. It's just the guy that's been the champion is extremely <laughs> boring on purpose, trying to be just not in, in tune with the cameras, even though he's like this notorious jokester and prankster when he's at home with his buddies at a fire station. But it's like, he still matters. And if he beats DC, him against John Jones is just as intriguing. because Or, or Nganu, John Jones, anybody against anybody in that upper tier. I don't, I mean, look, may, maybe this happens, Ben. Okay, okay, you ready for this? Maybe that scenario that just played out, dream scenario, right? We're all erect. We're loving this stuff, okay? <laughs> and then we tune into WWE. Kane Velasquez topples Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, and he grabs the mic. And he goes, Daniel Cormier, get your shit together, because I'm coming for you. And oh. then we finally see those two fighting <laughs> the damn octagon. Yeah, no, okay, okay forget that. But, but you know what I'm saying here, Brendan, all right? You know what I'm saying here. By the way, if I ever see Tyson Fury again in the WWE ring, I'm done with that. I don't ever need to see Kane again either, all right? Clean up those love handles. Get on the juice, brother. Yes, Brandon, what were you going to say? I was going to say I'm I'm getting more concerned about your health by the more times that you get this excited. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, just give me those fights, man. Give me heavyweights that matter. Stop putting Francis against Curtis Blades. Give him the fights that he should be getting and and stop keeping him on the sideline because – he is a contender. He needs to be fighting. I don't need to go a full year without seeing Francis Ngannou fight. Yeah, he could, he could fight every two months for as far as I'm concerned and just blow people away. Have him fight that guy who pisses in a shoe and drinks it. All right, let that guy die in front of him. All right, um, what else do you want to see in 2020? Habib Tony is obviously huge. I want to see Connor be back in matter. I want to see him fight three times. I think he will. I want to see what they can do with both Jorge Masvidal and the Diaz brothers, the idea of actually embracing a counterculture superstar, which they did in Madison Square Garden for the inaugural BMF event. And by the way, in the most recent interview, Dana with uh, Brett Okamoto of ESPN, it felt like Dana is starting to go, well, you know, maybe I would bring back that BMF. So I want to see the the BMF be a thing, but not because it's the BMF and it's a cool idea, because I want to see the Diaz brothers and Jorge Masvidal push to a level of stardom, prominence, and opportunity at the top of the pay-per-view food chain that can make the kind of fights as proven in Masvidal-Diaz that a real belt doesn't matter if you have people that the fans care about that much. I got to see all three of those guys in, in monster fights this year. One guaranteed, right? They, they got this meal ticket named Masvidal that, the, that the, they really love. But what is going to happen to the Diaz brothers in 2020? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing, especially since, you know, the Diaz brothers, they get so sensitive every single, like, if they don't want to fight, they, they're, they're retiring, they're quitting, everybody's a cheater, they hate the world, you know, so. Everybody's it, on steroids. It's fun. The whole UFC, everybody. <laughs> You're on steroids. Whoa, 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 come on, come on. He's, re, he's retired, he's got great abs, he's retired, though. He's back. Uh, I mean, like. You're right, because even if I'm saying I want Dana to embrace them, we still never know if they will, 
mercurially, mercurially just be like, <laughs> F you guys, right? Yeah, you never know. You never know. I mean, you know, one thing I'm excited, I, I want to see this year, I want to see uh, the 135 weight class. You know, I'm really, really excited about that. I want to see Triple Triple C come back. I'm still calling him Triple C, even though he doesn't have the belt <laughs> anymore. He's still Triple C. Uh, I want to see him come back and see what's going to happen with the weight class. Well, that division's so hot. Many, yes, it's so hot, and I think, and I think there's there's a lot of uh, big matchups that still can be made, and, and I think these guys are starting to um, get the attention uh, of people, and, and not, you know, I mean, the little guys are all they're starting to get the respect the 125 pounders never got, mm-hmm. you know, and that's something that's huge because. You know, these little guys, they, they can scrap and, and they're worth watching and they should be paid for it, you know? All right, Brandon, I want you to give me the Bantamweight fight to make based off what Rashad is saying. we got Cejudo on top. And what I say that is because we have not only a group of, like, ready contenders, your your, your adult large son, Peter Jan, one of them, Pe- Peoche, Peote Jan, one of them, but we've got, like, Dom Cruz, Mr. Faber, uh, Corey Garbrandt, uh, Cody Garbrandt, well, and his brother, Corey Garbrandt. And we've got, you know, (laughs) Jose Aldo. I mean, you have, like, a lot of ingredients to make this Bantamweight souffle work. Chef, what are you going to do here? And and allegedly Frankie Edgar. Wow. Wow. Um, For me, it's got to be Cejudo Jan. Like, stop messing around. Stop trying to do other fights. Stop talking about Jose Aldo getting getting a title fight off a loss. Like, just, just stop it. All right, like I want Dom Cruz to fight again. I want. Do, do we know he's actually fighting again? Because I feel like he's on that track where he's just getting in really good shape again and trying to get his abs back. Because now nah, he's coming. Listen, he's got a t-shirt out. He's got t-shirts out now. So you you only make t-shirts when you're gonna be actually fighting soon. So I think <laughs> I think he's gonna be fighting. I mean, give him like give him a Corey Sandhagen. What would be the feels if Dom Cruz in 2020 beats Cejudo for the title? I mean, what would be the deal? Because that guy is the Dom is the most inspirational fighter ever. And I was never a, a fan of prime Dom. There's nothing against him. But like the fan in me was never like, oh, I'm a Dom super fan. But Rashad, he has won me over with the interviews that he gives and the in the way he's handled loss and defeat and injury and all that stuff. Like, I don't put it past him because he's so mentally strong. Like, this could be a story, bro. It really could. It really. And especially the way he's. His journey, I mean, this dude, he worked super, super hard and to not give up on himself after all the surgeries, after all the setbacks and and really um, competing against guys who who are are years and years younger than him. And physically, you know, because because Dom has Dom has been that body's beaten up. And when your body gets beaten up like that, it gets harder to move. And these young guys, they don't they, they just get out of bed. and They just go. They don't even warm up to, to, to uh, train. They just get up there and start training. So. That's what Dom's up against. These guys at 135, they can still move, and he's got to put in a lot of work just to be able to even train. Brandon, we didn't even mention TJ Dillashaw. Remember that guy? Oh, man. Well, he's TJ 20, Dillashaw. He's 2021, though. Is he not fighting this year? What's the, what's the suspension? No, he's on the two-year. Uh, he just finished yeah. the year. All right. Well, enjoy the EPO now. He's uh, Have yeah. you seen the pictures of him, Rashad, by the way? Yeah, he got big, huh? He, <laughs> <laughs> big is an understatement. I mean... Yeah, big. He was looking big as Rampage at one point. Oh, how dare you! No, no, they were training together. You should see. He almost looks literally as big as Rampage wow. on one of the um, pitches. He's like big. He doesn't have his abs anymore. And that's something that you never. I haven't seen TJ with abs in so long or ever. 
from the standpoint, guys, I mentioned uh, Jorge Masvidal before. He won 2019 in MMA, right? He won Fighter of the Year, but he also just like was like the pop culture MVP of MMA. He was the the poster. He was the viral story constantly. Who do you think in 2020 has the potential to be, you know, not exactly like that because a lot of what made Masvidal special in the past year was very unique to to his personality, but. Who do you think has the biggest breakout potential, which can happen, by the way, from winning fights? It can happen just the same by by becoming a star with your mouth and, and, and doing other things. Who are you guys looking at? I'm going to say Corey Anderson. Wow. I know. I know. And you know why I say that? Because I'm starting to see a different side of Corey. And, and, it, and it all happened after he, he knocked out Johnny Walker. You know, he's starting to... Uh, feel himself in a way that that um you see a lot of guys who are considered badasses they consider themselves you know they they walk around like that and that's the thing that I always felt that was missing from Corey was just that like that belief in himself you know that belief that yeah I, I'm worthy to be on this stage with these guys I felt like before he was always trying to prove that he even was worthy to even be in the octagon with these guys but now I think that He's on the mindset with are these guys and are worthy to be in the octagon with me. And he's going out there and believing himself. He's believing his training. He believes in in and uh in, in, in a lot of things. He believes he can be champion. Brandon, and I think can Corey Anderson be John Jones's Matt Sarah? Oh god. That, wow. Oh that, wow. That's uh, spicy. I know, I know, I know. Listen. That that just Corey. that just feels so disrespectful to John Jones and, and Corey Anderson. Like Matt Sarah's in the Hall of Fame with an eleven Matt, yeah. seven eleven and Matt, seven record. You deal with Corey that. Corey Anderson okay? is much better than Matt Sarah was. Okay. Yeah, but he's not. But what he's saying is the fact that he can be the guy that John Jones doesn't see. Like that has he, the uh, kryptonite. Was a guy who, in that moment has the kryptonite right in that one. Yeah, moment. has that moment and that and that, I mean, listen, you got a guy who has boxing and and has fundamental striking in Corey Anderson with the transition in wrestling that I think is next level in the 205 weight class and then you take a guy on top of that who's getting bigger and stronger so now he can actually implement these tools on these guys whereas before he really couldn't implement that his fighting style because he just wasn't strong enough but now he's got the confidence he's got the strength and he has a technique, so, you know. He's one to watch. He's one to watch. Uh, you know, watch i got to give the vote to, and it's a little different than Masvidal because Masvidal sort of went from journeyman level to, like, lovable superstar level overnight in a way. I think Adesanya makes that leap that we all think he can make, but I think he makes it this year. I'm still sore against Brandon Wise, potentially Rashad Evans, and every other media member out there who voted Jorge Masvidal as the MMA Fighter of the Year in 2019. Great year! Great year! Wasn't better than Israel Adesanya's, though, is what I'm saying. And when you have a man, a man who bends styles, a man who has the charisma and the commercial potential, who comes off as insane year. He knocked out the, you know, the, the champion, the pound-for-pound-ranked Robert Whitaker, right? And that's just one of the things. He also authored the, authored the fight of the year, by the way. Took whatever Andy Silva had left in that jug, all right? And he drank it all. He wants to come back to start this year by willingly fighting UL Romero. What if he ended 2020, Adesanya, okay? You ready for this? Get ready for this, all right? I'm going to predict and tell you Adesanya ends 2020 with victories over. Yoel Romero, Paulo Costa, 
and Robert Whitaker in a rematch. He's your Man. fighter of the year if that happens. And he might be like the second biggest star in the sport if that happens because he has the mouth, the global aspect coming from, you know, representing multiple countries at once. He's the guy that can leap off the page this calendar year. And you know, I'm right. And you know you, this, Rashad. I, I, I know it's, you're it's right. Friday, I mean, Rashad, now, now my question this. to you is, does does he walk out each and every single time with, with his entourage like he did last? Does he have a great walkout <laughs> or does he kind of leave that for just like Australia type of thing? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know. I mean, wait. I'm the new dog in the yard. Yeah, well, that's, that's, yeah, that's true. He, he's a new dog in the yard. And I, and I tell you the thing, the thing about him that's so exciting is the fact that, I mean, there, there's not much that – that he does wrong when when he's out there fighting. He, he's he's absolutely brilliant when he's out there fighting, and um, he fights from from a pureness that is rare. You know, there there's so much of a um, of an artist be, be, behind his artistry when you when you watch him fight, and when you see that, you're just like, man, you know, sky's the limit because you know that there's a few more strokes in his paintbrush that he hasn't shown everyone yet. And it's just the excitement of what they could be. And, you know, this guy right here is something special. When you have a guy commercially, by the way, that can play both the the heel or the villain, you know, both the hero or the heel, like depending on the situation or what needs to be. And he's got a Anderson Silva style flashy skill set. And he's got a great look. And, and I mean, look, it's just the whole package is there. Obviously, what I just laid out for him in 2020, Brandon, is is, uh, is no simple feat. But again, when you're going out of your way to seek the toughest matchups available, I love you. Yeah, I hope to see, boy, I hope to see both of you soon in Vegas. That's the guy, Brandon. Tell me it's not. Try, try. <laughs> no, my prediction for 2020. Yeah, is- what do you got? Alex Pereira chases him down from his glory days oh, and comes in. Oh, yo, and yo, yo, the out. dude from glory. Yes, yes. Rashad, you've been watching this dude just sending people to hell and glory. Alex P- Pereira, the last yep. man to knock out style bender. Yep, yep. I, I heard that glory set gave him a chunk of money not to go back to MMA, though. All right, I thought you were talking about Michelle Pedata. Okay, no. that, that guy's going to pr- finish second to Johnny Walker in 2020 Clown of the Year on the State of Combat <laughs> podcast. All right, when Dana was asked, guys, in a, you know, a bunch of interviews to end the year, who is going to be that person that I said that 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 jumps through the hoop and, and uh, takes over 2020 and makes it their own from a UFC business culture standpoint? He says Zhang Weili is going to come back and fight Yuan Young Jacek because he always references some interview she did on Chinese TV that was watched by 1.3 billion people or something like that. And the size of the potential audience. I love me some Weili Zhang, Zhang Weili. But I got four words for her, all right? Boogie Woman is coming tomorrow, and she doesn't know what's coming. She's not the only one, okay? <laughs> the Boogie Woman is coming, and she looks focused. She's serious, and, and she's got her stuff figured out. And, she does. You know, she did an interview where she talked about some personal things, and I'm glad that she did that because um, a lot of people don't understand, like, you know, fighters are people too, and a lot of things that we experience in our personal life, it does affect the way we fight. You know, you you have you know so many weeks to go out there and train and prepare for it, but you know when you're mentally struggling with things in life, it it doesn't it doesn't get easier, and it, sometimes it gets hard to 
you know, put together a, uh, a good camp when you're mentally in a fog, you know? Indeed. I was proud of her, Brandon, that she was able to say, look like, you know, I got divorced or I, I got engaged and it fell apart. I had some things going on, you know, that, that made me not the same person, but can Jung Lee be that person, by the way, or does it not matter in the U S if it happens overseas and we really don't care about it. So that's like part of what I was going to say about Israel Adesanya before you jumped all over my, my... I, I will speak right over you. <laughs> uh, I just don't know that he, that he or Zhang Wei Li really have that crossover appeal in the states yet. Like that's what you're planning out, right? If you're for what your your prediction was for Israel Adesanya to win those three fights, two of those three have to be in the states, and they have to be bangers to get people's attention. Because even with the win in in Atlanta in April, he was the co-main event for an interim title against Kelvin Gastelum, who was not a star before that fight. I don't know that people really still think of him like that after that fight, like. It even even the the Robert Whitaker fight that was great for Australia and New Zealand. I don't think it resonated here. I disagree. Did you see yes. the way he came out dancing, man? I mean, people dance. I think that's one thing that that when you look at someone who's a crossover star, is the fact that they can do other things that cross over, and being able to entertain is one of those things that cross over. So when you're looking at someone who can cross over and be that that guy who can get a lot of burn. I think I think you have to look at the fact that this guy is bringing a whole dance crew out there <laughs> and, and 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 people are like, "Dang, this guy is doing something that no one has ever done in MMA before." Right. And I and I get that. I completely agree with you. But we just had somebody in the sport this year have the same kind of bravado and moxie and his pay-per-views did a lot better than Israel Adesanya's did this year. You have to give it time, Brandon. Okay, okay give I'm it just time. Saying, all right, like, all right. Just give it time. He, get, he didn't need a three piece in the soda. Okay, just this guy, Rashad. You have to understand. This guy comes from South Florida, Brandon Wise, and he's protecting his his kind. That's Jorge Masvidal's true. Miami. That's Brandon Wise. Boca in the house. All right, you know, Boca, he, uh, you know, Boca, you gotta yeah. be level head. You don't see me, you know, sticking by certain fighters and and, and <laughs> using biases to to make predictions and stuff. I mean, although uh, Aaron's on the line, Yuana on IG. Wow. Okay. Um. Wow, I, I got big expectations for 2020. I really do. There's going to be massive fights. There's going to be massive breakout moments. I, just, I want more. Look, it's, not, it's, not, it's very casual fan to say, but covering MMA and being a super fan, it's more fun when you have big stars and when these big stars compete regularly. So, you know, like I said, my wish list, I need Connor three times. I need some Diaz brothers. I need John Jones at heavyweight. I need big, compelling storylines. I want it to be where it's such a whirlwind year covering this sport that we don't know what month or day it is, and we're traveling every two weeks, and it's like, I got to see that next fight. And that's when the sport is thriving. That's when this podcast is thriving. That's when, oh, I mean, do you remember, Rashad Evans, do you remember 2016 in the sport of MMA? When Connor was on top, and yeah, it was like a damn yeah. drug. And, every, and you know what? Yeah. It becomes contagious. So what I'm saying is you get a couple big pay-per-views together, and the buzz and the casuals come in and that buzz carries over. And you know what usually is a byproduct of that? Big ass upsets. You remember 2016 people dropping left and right, all right? Yeah. Yeah. I need that. I need that excitement back again this year, all right? Give it to I me. I think it happened. I think give it give it some time. I think it's gonna happen. I think it may happen sooner than we think. You know, this is first fight with Connor and uh and Cerrone is not uh is not as easy as a lot of people think, even though um you know, I mean, people know that Connor's coming in after such a long layoff, but they're still giving him such a huge advantage, thinking he's going to knock up Donald. But Donald's been active, you know. A guy who's been active is, is hard to beat. 
He's, no also, he's like a three to one favorite right now. I would bet that goes up to four to one by the time we get to fight night. By the time Ireland, who's arrives. a four to one? Connor is. Connor, Connor's three to one right now. He's minus three hundred. So I'm I'm guessing that gets to like minus four hundred or so by the time all the Irish crew shows up. All right, couple thoughts here to close as we look ahead to this new year. Uh, Rashad, I'll put you on the hot seat here. This is a UFC heavy show. We 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 tickle the ivory sometimes for Bellator. PFL one championship. Uh, I don't know what else we got. Titan FC, uh, uh, Invicta FC, uh, uh, KSI one left way, left way. I don't know where you go with this. Uh, which non UFC promotion will make the biggest splash in 2020 to kind of become that number two in terms of notoriety and, and when you think of MMA, okay, it's UFC at the top and then the JV squad is this. No, that's a, that's a tough thing. No one wants to be called that. But you get what I'm saying. Who's yeah. going to be the number two at the end of the year? You know, um, it's pretty difficult because Bellator has been putting on better cards, but I've been really liking, uh, you know, the momentum that, that 1FC has been having. You know, they've been putting on some pretty good cards and they really want to make an impact over here. Uh, so, but, you know, it all depends on on what they do as far as having shows over here. I think their biggest disconnect is having all the shows out in Asia and really not having, not really crossing uh, over to here. But I think if they do that, then I think it can definitely put them in position to be number two because, you know, they are strong promotion. They have some really good fighters and uh, they, they have a, a different way of doing things. And I think they, they have a definitely uh, a unique, uh, not a unique, they have a definitely, um, a platform that a lot of people enjoy watching. Yeah, no doubt. I think Bellator, I'm predicting they'll kind of hold serve and be who they are another year. PFL's interesting because of the million-dollar tournament aspect. It didn't suck me in this year. Tried, I was in and out, didn't really care. But you got the ESPN deal. You're putting the end-of-the-year thing in Madison Square Garden, and you just signed Rory McDonald. They got a chance, Brandon, to make you care. I feel like one's got a better chance than them this year. They're talking about they're gonna they're looking into doing a U.S. card. And if they do that, they're going to have a chance to like just showcase all of those stars that they brought over and like the Sage North Cuts, Eddie Alvarez, Demetrius Johnson. So if they do that, they have a chance to meet Brandon Vera. Me. Brandon Vera. That giant that lost to Ung Sung. Anyway, um, we're going to close this podcast with bold prediction for 2020. Mm-mm-mm-mm. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I don't even know what the song that is. All right. Um, I don't know what music that was, but that's setting me up. I'm going to go first, give you guys a minute to, to collect your thoughts here. My bold MMA prediction for 2020 is this. We will see a new entrant to the Champ Champ Club in the UFC. And it'll come in the form of Valentina the Bullet Shevchenko. She will handle her business at flyweight like she always does because to be honest there ain't nobody in that division that can touch her and she will move back up at the end of the year to 135 trilogy bout with amanda the lioness nunes the greatest fighter in women's mixed martial arts history the best resume the most consistent brutalizing finisher but the only one who has had amanda's number 
since she became Amanda, right? Ever since the loss to Kat Zingano in 2013, since she elevated to the, really since that first fight with Shevchenko at UFC 196 in 2016, where Amanda won a a decision in three rounds, even though Valentina came on late in that third round. I think Valentina's been elevated mentally from moving down to her natural weight and displaying this dominance that she's going to figure a way to get in there and win a decision against Amanda and hold up two freaking belts and maybe cause a need for a fourth fight between the two of them. I don't know, but that's my bold-ass prediction. It's bullet time. That is a nice, bold-ass prediction. I like that prediction. I, I really do. Um, ah, let me think here what my prediction is going to be. I think that uh, this year you will see at heavyweight John Jones versus Stipe Miocic. Yes. I think that's something that's going to happen. And uh, I think it probably will happen sometime around November. Notice that in that prediction, it's Rashad saying Stipe beats Dice in the three-way. Okay. (laughs) Right? 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 (laughs) Yes. So if I asked you both offhand right now, how many times the belts changed hands last year, how many would you guess? Without knowing or, or reading into this, I'll say six times. Rashad, would you get what, what number would you put on? Uh, five, seven. Oh, the belts changed. Belts changed hands seven times in 2019. My prediction is that three times it will happen in 2020. I think that John Jones ends the year as the heavyweight champion. I think we have a new champion at welterweight. And I think we have a new champion at featherweight. Are you not counting the new men's flyweight champion that we're going to have when I'm not counting that, when no. Joe Jitsu faces off so, with that other guy? So who's going to be uh, Usman? Oh, yeah. hot seat! Time. I don't want to get put on the hot seat. Um, Conor McGregor. Ah. <laughs> um, man, I I just think that you're going to see. Jorge against. Oh, Usman. here it is. Here's the Miami Homer. He's back for John. Uh, Homer. Three here pieces of soda time. I love that you say I'm the Homer when I actually trained at Usman's gym before, but that's okay. Uh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think that that is going to end up being a war. I think you're going to see that fight happen twice in 2020. Wow. Where it's going to end up being a rematch that Jorge beats him once, and then maybe Usman beats him in the rematch. So. Mm. Okay. Okay. That is bold. That is bold. And I think Max beats uh, Volkanovski in the rematch too, because I think that fight happens again. I could get behind that idea. That was close the first time on the scorecards, even though Volcan really impressed us. Uh, my bold prediction that I hope doesn't happen, and it's more of a warning. Rashad Evans, my man, you want to come back for another? I got your back, bro. I'll work your friggin' corner. Okay. But I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to hold you to that, okay? <laughs> don't you freaking dare. I don't care about the money, the ladies, the trees that they offer you. Don't you dare come back against TRTV to our Belfort under the one championship label because <laughs> he will take your soul if you let him. But don't you let him, okay? You don't want to mess with that animal. The TRT. 
I trade with the TRTV. I can't, I'm not gonna. I'm not. I'm not gonna perpetuate this. This. This language. I train with Vitor. Rashad, your bold prediction should have been that I knock out BC in our in our sparring match. That's really what it should have been. That's that's that should have been a bold. But you know what? You guys are not gonna. BC is not in any way, shape, or form ready to spar. I just had a heart home. exam yesterday. I mean, come on, bro. Can I get my life back together first? All right. All right, that's it. Uh, shout out to you, the great listeners of the State of Combat. 2020 is going to be wild. You're going to want to be part of this show every week. Next week, UFC 246. Big time preview for you on Wednesday with the voices you heard today. Don't forget Friday of next week, Media Day Bonanza, as I'll be on the grounds in Las Vegas. Interviews galore with all the big names. Holly Holm. We got some fun names on this UFC 246 card, even though it's not a deep card necessarily from good matchups. Showtime Pettis, a lot of people to talk to there. Instant analysis on Saturday. Rashad, will you be in Vegas next week? I will not. I will not. All right. It is what it is. Yeah. (laughs) That's the story right there. All right. Follow (laughs) us at State of Combat. Shout out to Mikey Mormile, our great producer for Brandon Wise. For the Hall of Famer, Sugar Rashad Evans. This is your boy BC saying stay healthy in 2020. All right. Lower the thirst levels, please. Let's let's clean it up this year. All right. Get your prostate checked. Although that is really the way. Rashad, you're a you're a 40 year old man. I mean, come on. I mean, we can't we get a we can't get a workaround in 2020 for for a freaking prostate exam. I mean, we're like you can't just like you can't just like scan us with your phone and it can, you know, I mean, come on, right? <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, yeah. I'm get ready, Brandon. Okay, okay. Get, <laughs> get friggin' ready. No more gas station hot dogs. No more, no more dick pills. Okay, uh, two words for the people. <laughs>